Disturbed, everyone. We are back, not in New York City together, on our own separate coasts. I am Darren Karp, here with <laughs> John true. Thrasher. I am finally back Hello. in L.A., and you are finally back in Maryland. And uh, yeah. here we are, John. Here we are. You know, I want to say that as great as it is to see you, and I love spending time with you, we have so much fun together, you yes. were just talking about this on NMR recently, the last week on NM- on Patreon. It, there is something nice about being back in your in your station, in your home with your I things, just, yeah. with your microphone that you know works. Yes. yes, like my whole you know. setup, like Wi-Fi and internet and all the yeah. good stuff. Like yeah. we just well, you know, we obviously we obviously hope everyone loved our Patreon video though because it was right. fun to make it. You can it check it so out now, fun. no matter what tour you are. Patreon.com/slash shaken and disturbed. But it was so fun just being to like hug you again i know how did you feel about seeing each other in person which for the first we i realized the last time we saw each other if you remember was when we walked i believe it was actually the day when we had the space station christmas party and we walked away walked to the subway together yeah maybe that was it. that was the last time yeah i believe that was the last time because the okay. time wait that was all the same trip though so i think it was no, still that, that was party the same though. Yeah. same party Anyway, um, I just wanted to mention, I brought Darren to my room. We we recorded our episode in my hotel room. You can hear more about that on NMR that went up on Patreon this week. Um, offered Darren a Diet Coke. She was a little bit uh, upset that it was small. It was a mini it's a Diet tiny. Coke. It was tiny. Well, I just want to say I have my own little small one again. I like these little ones because they're just enough. You know, quenches your thirst. Oh, yeah. Okay. Gives just you what you need. You're not drinking Coke. a huge thing of Diet Coke. I just wanted to mention that. Also. Huge. One... It's a can. I'm not asking for a two liter bottle. Well, you're right. But still. What I if also... you gave me a two liter bottle? <laughs> that would be a bit much. Which, by the way, that's all they had at like CVS and everything in New York. So I did drink from a two liter or not a two liter. Actually, I guess it was the the smaller bottle, 20 ounce or whatever. So that was oh. annoying. I like a can only of Diet Coke. I don't want anything plastic. But anyway, I want to mention I was editing the show the other day. Or no, I was editing our video that went up on Patreon. So if you want to see us in person, uh, you know, act, you know, moving in front of your face, not on a virtual Zoom when we record our episodes, go check that out. But Darren, there was this moment where you're like, you have to go back and watch it. You go, John, it's so good to see you again. And I say, I know. And here we are today. <laughs> I'm just like, I didn't register like, that you, I didn't say nice to see you too, Darren, right, or anything like, back. Uh, right. Yeah. You're, you're right. Exactly. I said, I know, and moved on to our next topic. You know me, I'm always trying to keep the, keep the show going. Speaking of which, Darren, it's been so nice to see you. I loved hanging out last week. Let's move on to this week's case, which is quite a doozy. It is a deuce. It is yep. a da- it's quite it is a, a Darren doozy, which is also the name of the drinks that when I was like <laughs> sixteen, I went to the Caribbean with my parents and their friends. Well, the, the parents yeah. of my brother's girlfriend uh-huh. and like my brother and the girlfriend or whatever. Sure. And um, my like my parents were down at the beach, and so all the adults were like, "Darren, go up and make us drinks." Oh. And I made them a wee bit strong, oh, and they I passed out in about an hour, and they're Darren doozies. So <laughs> Darren doozy. Yes. You're you're gonna obviously need to come up with whatever recipe that is, and have give it to us to make together. The, the recipe on the show. is eighty five percent alcohol, fifteen percent chaser. Add ice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Add ice, and yeah. maybe a yeah. splash of diet coke. No, add yeah. ice. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. There you go. That's it. All right. 
All right, well, let's get into this week's episode. So it was a scorching day, scorching August day in Antioch, Tennessee. Although the summer was approaching an end, the southern heat blared on reaching uh, blared, excuse me, on reaching temperatures of up to 95 degrees. Like I said on NMR recently, you know, we went through a heat wave here in the Northeast a couple of weeks ago. I, by the way, I mentioned that to you and realized you weren't you weren't living here a couple of weeks ago when we had the heat wave, nope. because you're on the other side where heat waves are. I don't know. Are they more common? Maybe they're not. Oh, oh, not okay. where I live. In, not uh, where Darren lives. All right. Yeah. This episode is off to a great start, by the way. It's here. Yep. You three bullet points in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, very hot day is all we got to know. In a small shopping plaza stood a Chinese buffet. Let's not even get into those. Okay. A few clothing shops and a Kroger's grocery store, which I don't know that they're all over the country. So Kroger's is just your typical kind of chain grocery store, supermarket. Yeah. yeah. And they're kind of at least all over the Northeast from what I understand. Yeah. They were in my hometown of Morgan or my college town, Morgantown. So I went to many, many a Kroger over the day. Over By the, the way, years. my mom told me recently that her yeah. first job offer was in Morgantown. What? Yeah. She said what, it randomly because we were talking about talking about West Virginia. We're talking about Virginia yeah, or something probably. like that. WVU and where I went to college. She yeah. was like, my first job offer. She didn't take it, but she was like, my first job offer oh, okay. was in Morgantown. Oh, and she's an engineer. Um, that makes sense. It's a, There's yeah. a big engineering school there. Lots of government sense. stuff there. Anyway, I forgot to tell you. Anyway. Interesting. What if what if you grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia? And then we yeah. still became friends anyway because we would have been the same age-ish. That would be fun. That would have been fun. Anyway, let's keep going. Inside of that grocery mm-hmm. store, an unsuspecting employee was about to receive the shock of a lifetime when in when in walks a man by the name of Garland Miller. The Kroger staff was very familiar with Garland. He was an unhoused and he was, excuse me, unhoused and lived in a tent behind the strip mall. But despite this, he was always very well kept and clean. By the way, I just want to mention we're in Tennessee. I feel like we've been talking about West Virginia, yeah. Morgantown and stuff, but we're in Tennessee. Yeah. He would often panhandle in front of the store. He had always been very kind and respectful. So the manager agreed to allow him to do so, which was to live behind uh, the strip mall, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Panhandle and things like that. Several employees had taken a liking to Garland and would even purchase his groceries or lend them their employee discount at checkout. That's nice. Yeah, but this particular day, however, Garland was not coming in for groceries or to panhandle money. He approached one of the cashiers and just calmly said, quote, I need to confess to a murder. Great. Wow. So already just initial thoughts. I'm thinking this guy, even though he's saying I need to confess to a murder, he clearly has his he's not he doesn't seem like armed and dangerous because a he's confessing to something and he obviously is like sort of this trusted unhoused person in the community with the grocery store so he's able to kind of establish connections and you know interesting just he doesn't seem mayhem inducing well that's what i was gonna say is i think that unfortunately a lot of people who are unhoused in the world are also meant very disturbingly mentally ill um and that's not a criticism yeah i actually don't think it's a majority of them shockingly maybe i, I maybe just think I, don't know the exact... I think it's what we see probably like on well, that's the what i'm trying to like say the horror yes. stories yeah that's exactly. what i was going to say is most people associate mental illness yes. with unhoused yes. people and so him calmly stating to a cashier i need to confess to a murder is probably very shocking to those people yeah well garland ray millen was born in 1965 the middle child of three 
His mother was originally from Oklahoma, but had drifted around the country for most of her adult life. She was a go-go dancer at several local nightclubs and was also known to hang around the Hell's Angels. I remember my first, I figured out what a go-go dancer was when, God, I think her (laughs) name was Bryn on Real World Lost Oh, I remember Bryn, yes. And her job was a go-go dancer. And they showed you her go-go dancing. And I was like, oh, go-go. Like, I had heard the term, but, you know, you don't really know what it is. And she was a go-go dancer. Well, remember Bryn and Steven, you know, and that whole thing. Trishel. Trishel, that, and Frank. A lot going on. A lot going on in that room. A lot going on with Bryn. Bryn Kane. So way. she was she was known to hang out with the Hells Angels. And if you don't know them, those are like a motorcycle yeah. gang club kind of thing. Sure. When Garland was two, his father abandoned the family, unable to deal with his wife's unstable lifestyle. She began turning to drugs such as meth in order to cope. And as a toddler, he was taken from his mother for a period of time during which he went to live with his aunt, Joe Johnson. Joe was deeply religious uh-oh, and believed that her sister had been <laughs> possessed by a demon, which then had been passed on to him. Oh, dear. A demon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Are you going to see the new Exorcist, by the way? I saw that it was coming out or whatever. Maybe it's already out. Uh, no. Yeah, I just decided no. Listen, I've always said I don't really do, unless I'm like having a fun night with all the lights on and a lot of friends over, I can't do scary movies. They yeah. really mentally mess with me. I mean, I just said on, on this week's NMR, there's a scene from Girls that has not left me since I watched it the other day again. And I'm like, what is going on in the psychology of my head? Like, come yeah. on now. You know what I mean? You're a scaredy cat. I'm magic a scaredy cat. To, what are you going to do? Magic has to protect you. Well, that's true. So, so Garland claims that you would often beat him and perform exorcisms on him in order to save his soul. Later in life, Garland himself would say that this period was deeply traumatic, I imagine, and set up a strong sense of resentment for religion as a whole. I'd imagine it would do that as well. Sure, yeah. Violence became a strong theme in the mind of young Garland. He has said his urge to kill began as young as nine years old, admitting to taking out his anger on small animals such as kittens and puppies, breaking their necks or suffocating them with bags. This is obviously tough to see and write, but as we know on this podcast, this is kind of all too familiar and a lot of ways how serial killers kind of start on small, helpless animals. Sad but true. Yeah, Garland would explain in interviews that this came from a strong sense of curiosity of what it was like to take a life. Animals would feed that hunger for a while, but he stated that he always felt like he was running from his dark urges, knowing that one day it would catch up to him. As a teenager, Garland returned to his mother where he quickly realized that if they were going to survive, he would need to step up and work. He managed to juggle two part-time jobs on top of attending school full-time while his mother continued her job as a dancer. Now, when the stress of these stress of these responsibilities began impacting his sleep, as he'd often toss and turn all night, struggling to yeah. actually rest, which is obviously going to also affect your like mental capacity at any given point as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, I don't empathize with him, given what we just learned about the animals and everything. But, um, you know, it's really it's sort of like, you know, when you're set up with this kind of background, what do you expect these people to do? You know, they're only human beings. Again, not sympathizing. I'm just saying there probably is a reason for a lot of this stuff. Well, in an attempt to help keep him energized, excuse me, during the day, his mother began providing him with crystal meth. Oh, at the good. age of 15, Darren, did you ever, um, did your mom want you to <clears throat> hang out on, you know, watching TV and doing crystal meth or did you do other things? No, my mom also gave me downers. 
you know, pills, oh, okay. heroin. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't want to be up at all hours. Well, that's you know? fair. That's fair. That, which is why I thought that Diet Coke was so small that you gave me. Uh, it right? simply was not enough caffeine. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, let me take another quick little sig of my little yeah. mini can. A sig mm. of the... A, a sig of the a sig of the Diet Coke. All right. There you go. A swig, a sig. It's all the same thing. I can't yeah. speak. What do you think I am? A podcaster? You need some meth. Anyway, go right. Garland's father had been almost completely MIA until the summer of his sophomore year when he spontaneously reached out and offered to have him visit for the summer. His hmm. visit with his father would come to an abrupt end after Garland was caught stealing. His father had discovered the stolen items in his bedroom and made him return the items to the store before beating him and then immediately driving him back to his mother's house. This was allegedly the last time that there was any contact. Back home, Garland's mother was deeply unwell. She had received a double mastectomy oh. due to breast cancer. But despite this, the disease continued to spread, which is horrible huh. and tragic. Unable to emotionally handle watching his mother die, at 18 years old, Garland made the difficult decision to move out on his own. Wow. Which it's like you can only cope with so much when you're when you're a well, human yeah, being. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to dissociate because <clears throat> you're trying to protect yourself, you know? Exactly. For years, he had been passed around from family member to family member, and he found himself on the brink of adulthood without really anyone to turn to. He became a drifter, working for the carnival and hitchhiking through several states, such as Florida, Texas, Arizona, and many others. Garland described himself at this point of his life, uh, in his life as, quote, a wandering soul. On the road, his desire to kill wouldn't go away. He claimed the more he worked, the easier it was to ignore. But when his mind was idle, it was hard for him to battle the urges. This mm. is interesting. This is the first time I've ever heard kind of the reasoning yeah like the self-awareness of why someone wants to kill like that and That's also really knowing it's kind of like wrong even though it's an urge like clearly there is some sense of yeah typical i guess neurocognitive behavior but i, yeah. I don't know well uh, while living in texas for a short stint garland lived with a man who owned a goat farm while he bust tables at the local diner my dream goat farm or, or bussing tables goat farm oh, goat farm so. Uh, I've seen yeah. goats in real life. There's a bunch of them nearby where I live. Uh, they're they cute kinda, and adorable. Maybe no, you should they scare adopt me. Too. Maybe you no, should they scare me. You've got to stop talking me into adopting animals. Have you listened to the NMR, everybody? It's just she's putting this on me. Well, John, just show John's a terrible person. And oh. I think everyone should listen oh. to our Patreon exclusive NMR in order to guilt trip you. Oh, okay. If only for this week, just please do it. That's all yeah. I ask. All right. Just Sounds good. Thanks. So after a few months of difficult business, the diner made the decision, unfortunately, to lay him off which sent Garland into a spiral. He took out his anger on a litter of baby goats that had just been born a few days prior. Oh, he tied God. plastic bags around their heads and sat uh, and watched as they suffocated, claiming to enjoy the sounds of their pain cries. Uh, this is very Silence of the Lambs. I was just going to say that. Screaming. Yeah. The farmer walked in on this and immediately kicked him out of the streets once again. On the road, he fell in love and got married, although the romance would sour shortly thereafter. Imagine it's hard to keep that from your partner. Well, how yeah. the first thing that comes to my mind is how can someone that did this to animals also then find love i well, mean I, don't, I guess love's uh, different know, for everybody yeah, it's a, no it's a different thing i mean it's a different thing it's a completely different thing the he obviously has the capacity 
I'm not saying he can help the switching on and off, range, but it, yeah. but like he also isn't always just having this urge to do this because when he's yeah, working, he's working, you know? Yep. The loss of his brief marriage sent Garland into a complete nervous breakdown for which he was ultimately, ultimately hospitalized in a psychiatric ward. There he began unpacking his childhood trauma and was diagnosed with PTSD and schizoaffective, schizoaffective disorder. Okay, so obviously home dude has childhood trauma, you know, well, and that can manifest in so many ways. You know, one of the things that's coming to light here is every decision or everything that happens to him in his life, the response is an extreme reaction, which is yeah. never he a good thing. He can't sign. regulate or yeah, self-soothe exactly. or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. After his divorce in 19... This is coping mechanism. After yeah, his divorce 100%. in 1995, Garland reached out to his brother Thomas, who was living in Florida. Thomas offered for his brother to come live with him, where he'd help him get sober, get his life back on track. This is a good opportunity. Garland stayed with Tom for a short amount of time, but one day, without warning, he disappeared again, leaving nothing but a note explaining that he had stolen Tom's bike and traded it for crack. Garland later admitted the real reason he left was because he was battling the thoughts of killing his younger brother. And oh again, God. he left. I mean, and yeah. I'm not saying he deserves a medal, but he obviously can't help these urges. This is so psychiatric at this point. He can't help it. So the fact that he's trying to prevent himself in any way possible of not doing it shows some humanity. Yeah, and you have to wonder what all the drugs are doing to his decision-making as well, right. on top of all that. Um, he began smoking crack regularly, claiming it helped to push the thoughts away, but ultimately mm. felt he had to separate entirely from his brother to avoid acting on his impulses. According to Garland, ending up in Tennessee was a complete accident. After leaving his brother's home, he intended to hitchhike all the way up to Maine, but found himself stuck, ultimately deciding to settle down in Antioch only a few miles outside of Nashville. <clears throat> I hope I'm saying that right. Antioch, right? That sounds I, right. It sounds right. Yeah. Um, throughout Antioch are several different camps where unhoused people and drifters congregate and live. This is very common in cities and city suburbs. Yep. Is what, yeah, people call it. Garland made himself at home in one of these camps behind a strip mall using a four-person dome tent, a small couch, an outdoor gravity shower, and wow. a fire pit. So he's very thrifty and seems to kind of know how to make his life this way. After being on the road for most of his adult life, Garland had figured out the best way to maintain his lifestyle while still remaining comfortable. He received a bi-monthly deposit from Social Security mm. and would panhandle outside of the grocery store for any additional money that he needed. So this is where we're catching up with where he was exactly. in the beginning of the episode. He became a familiar face both to the customers and employees of the plaza and was always seen as harmless. It was around this time that Garland began seeing a woman by the name of Cindy who also lived behind the plaza. Like him, she lived in a tent and suffered from substance abuse issues. The two became romantically involved and lived together in Garland's camp for approximately six months. The couple became friends and, <clears throat> excuse me, with another person who camped out nearby. This guy's name is Tim McCoy. Right. So we've got Garland dating Cindy. They become friends with Tim McCoy. Now, Tim had wandered through Garland's camp from time to time, often bringing gifts of booze or drugs for the two to share. To Garland's dismay, Tim was very religious. And when he became intoxicated, he would want to preach to Garland and oh try to convert him. We all know how he feels about religious people. Right. After his experiences with his aunt growing up, Garland was extremely annoyed and enraged by this habit, but managed to control his anger in the moment. Early one morning in August of 2005, Garland gave Cindy his debit card and sent her off to do some grocery shopping. Stupid question, maybe, but don't you have to kind of have an address to open these things? There's like P.O. box, maybe, or something? Or... Um, 
Do you need a mailing address? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming. I mean, maybe he was able to use somebody's home address. I mean, I'm sure that's probably somebody. Uh, yeah, maybe or like a family. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um. Well, Tim was expecting her back after an hour or so. However, she disappeared for the entirety of the day. Cindy returned to camp around sunset, and Garland noticed that she appeared disheveled. He became paranoid that she had secretly spent the day over at Tim's camp. Um, I said Tim was expecting her back after an hour or so, but I meant Garland. Sorry, That's I right. That's there. right. Cindy denied she was with Tim, but Garland didn't believe her, okay? He's already fucking paranoid. After a day of drinking, he decided to walk over to Tim's camp to investigate mm. for himself. And upon arrival, he saw that Tim was passed out in his tent. Oh. Garland also claimed that he noticed a distinct pair of underwear underneath the other man's mattress. It was a zebra print thong, which he immediately which recognized. I lost. I lost at one point. Thank you for getting that oh, back. You way. have it. Magic's Thank got you. it right now. Magic's running around the house with Your it, future yeah. kitty you're going to adopt has it too. He, <laughs> so Garland had given this zebra print underwear. He had given it to his girlfriend, Cindy, that same pair as a gift just a few days before. Mm. So this kind of confirmed his fears. So Garland returns to his camp and pulls out a knife on Cindy, telling her, you have five minutes to get out of here before I slice your throat. Oh, God. She did as she was told, leaving Garland to fester in his anger. Usually when his urge to kill would arise, he would try to numb it with alcohol or drugs. But this time, nothing seemed to kind of numb it and nothing seemed to help. And, you know, we're we're sharing these details and they sound rational in the sense of like, oh, it's a typical jealousy, you know, right. you know, we have to remember the extreme circumstances of living outside in camps, yeah, you know, it's doing hard. drugs and doing, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of anxiety and probably just intense hard. emotional reactions incur- occurring on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Definitely. So Garland claims that he began hearing a voice in his head repeating the phrase, quote, be the vehicle of my vengeance, which sent him into a hypnotic state. In this state, he returned to Tim's camp and marched directly into his tent. He kicked him in the head to wake him up before stating, quote, wake up, it's time to die. Garland proceeded to make a noose out of his belt, which he wrapped around Tim's neck as he laid face down. He then braced his knee into Tim's back as he pulled the noose tighter, crushing his trachea, excuse me, and suffocating him to death. According to Garland's beliefs, the soul leaves the body upon the final breath. He decided that he wanted to try and absorb Tim's soul as it exited. Okay, what are you, a dementor? Like, this isn't Harry Potter here, guys. I'm not confident he's in his right mind. Yeah. Yeah. So after Tim was dead... He loosened the noose to allow the remaining air, excuse me, to leave his his lungs as the air. Are you ready for this? As the air hissed out of Tim's mouth, Garland inhaled deeply, claiming that he felt a rush stronger than crystal meth or crack. This is really freaking me out. I just want to put that. No, thanks. Yep. No, no, thanks. He later informed investigators that after he, quote, inhaled the soul. He was knocked back and lost control of his bowels, and his entire body began to vibrate. There's a lot going on here. So after 40 years of fantasizing of murder, you know, doing things to animals, to the goats, etc., it was exactly the rush he had always dreamed of. And had already, uh, and already he was hungry to do it again. That's all it took was one human death, essentially. To cover his tracks, Garland set fire to the camp and staged it to make it look like a cooking accident had occurred in the tent. 
Tim's body was discovered the following morning as it was still on fire and the smoke gathered attention as the sun began to rise. Now, as you might expect with unhoused people, there was no immediate investigation into Tim's death because, you know, let's face it, most police departments, they probably just look at unhoused people as not worth investigating for whatever reason. It's a discrimination. But that very same morning, Garland would walk into the Kroger's for his morning coffee when he spotted his next victim. In the parking lot stood another drifter, this guy named Johnny Davis or J.D. Okay, so he's got one down under his belt after 40 years, so he hasn't confessed to anything yet, so let's see. J.D. was heavily intoxicated, attempting to panhandle, but was too belligerent to do so. Garland saw that he was being rude to the customers walking in and overall just causing a scene. So he intervenes and attempting to calm J.D. down. Now, the Kroger's manager saw Garland talking to him and demanded the toot leave. Garland pleaded with the manager to allow him to buy groceries first, and then they would never come back, which he did agree to. He sent J.D. to the liquor store in the plaza to wait for him as he did his grocery shopping. Garland later commented that while he was shopping, he knew he intended to use the groceries to prepare a final meal for J.D. He purchased pork chops, macaroni and cheese, and an expensive black label bottle of whiskey before returning to his camp. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Later in the day, after drinking and partying nonstop, J.D. began disrespecting Garland by throwing bottles at him and demanding he buy him more booze. Feeling the violent urge bubbling to the surface, Garland asked J.D. if he had heard about what happened to Tim. He said he had heard some talk of it, but didn't know who had done it. Garland then confessed in detail to Jay-Z that he had been the one to strangle Tim and set his camp on fire. Wow. Why are you telling me this, JDS? Because now I have to kill you. So wow. it was he's justifying was his means yeah. yeah, to kill him. Garland decided to make a game of the ordeal. He gave JD a five minute head start to run, but after a full day of drinking, he was unable to run without falling over repeatedly. <laughs> well, yeah. Garland easily caught up kind of without much effort. Using a chain dog leash, Garland Ugh. broke JD's trachea and suffocated him to death. He attempted to quote unquote suck his soul like he had with Tim, but claims he did not feel nearly as intense of a rush as he did the first time. I wonder what that is. I wonder if it's because he was less high. Yeah, something. I mean, yeah, that has to be exactly what it is. Yeah. Yes. He continued to beat JD's body well into the night. And at one point, he claims to have propped JD up on his couch while he took a cigarette break. Maybe he didn't get the same rush because he was already fucking dead. Yeah, that could be it too. Right. When the sun began to rise, he moved JD's body to a trash pile nearby where he was covered up and hidden. Really disturbing. Well, according to Garland, he was haunted by the spirits of Tim and JD in the early hours of that morning. The two specters urged him to confess to the murders. Uh, This is what he, you know, he's claiming he was haunted by, you know, the ghosts of these men. When Kroger opened the next morning, um, he walked right in and told the cashier what he had done, like we had just said at the top of the show. The police were obviously called to the scene where Garland showed them to his camp and to J.D.'s body. Garland also confessed to killing Tim the evening before, a murder which had not even appeared on their radar. Mm. I'm assuming, you know, based on how this stuff kind of goes, is they... You know, the fire department probably came. They put it down. Oh, this person died in the fire. They're unhoused. Right. Let's just move on from this. Yeah, right. who cares, right? Garland was arrested on August 13th, 2005 and charged with two counts of murder. He pled guilty to both counts, avoiding a trial. From day one of his incarceration, Garland requested the death penalty. 
He has said wow. repeatedly that he has no remorse for what he did because he was, quote, addicted to sucking the souls out of his victims. And the only thing that will stop him from killing again is the death penalty. Wow. His request was denied and he was instead given two life sentences without the possibility of parole. So he knows what he did was wrong, yeah. too, because yeah. he probably feels guilty for it. But since his sentencing, he has come forward and claimed that he was responsible for several other murders while he was traveling around the country. He claimed to be responsible for killing and dismembering a man in Tucson, Arizona, before throwing his remains onto a train track to make it appear as an accident. Authorities were unable to track down anything validating the story and has been dismissed as another attempt at getting the death penalty, yeah. which... It's possible. Yeah. While in prison, Garland had given several live interviews, such as Phil Chalmers on his podcast, Where the Bodies Are Buried. Today, he resides in the South Central's Correctional Facility in Clifton, Tennessee, where he will live out the rest of his natural-born life, much to his chagrin. Yeah, and this is one of those cases I feel like you'll agree with me, Darren. It's like, you just wonder how much, you know, childhood development played into all of this. I mean... A lot, if yeah, not and, all. And, you know, it's like, it's one thing if you're in trouble or you're doing something but then when you start to hurt the animals and then that dominoes into bigger things and more bodies and it's like you know you obviously every every person is responsible for right. their own decision making but i don't know right, it just you're responsible makes me... for it but it certainly is like what if he had yeah yeah and i look i mean i'll be honest like he knew he did what was wrong he just yeah, knew i don't know exactly and i'll be honest with you i look at like you know parenting and children nowadays and i'm like are they you know I, I run it through the filter of like are they getting what they need are they psychologically well and this is like the one good thing about well obviously there's lots of good things about mental health coming to the forefront of public discourse but this is one of the things that i feel like people don't talk about enough like yeah when you get laid off or you know you go through a breakup and all the different things that come with those types of depression but what about child psychological development like we should be yeah. talking more about that you know i agree anyway so let us know I what agree. you guys this think so sad. yeah please yeah. do let us know what you think at jay thrasher at carpe darren hit us up in our facebook group or on our patreon page uh darren let's get into some listener shout outs you know what pe people watched our patreon video and were so happy to see us together which is Me so too. sweet Yay. and paula said quote that was perfect and gia even said quote i love this so much so i just wanted to give them a little shout out because we appreciate you guys caring yeah. so much about us being together yeah and roxanne even said the hug was everything and it Aww. was to me too john it was a good hug it was a good hug i posted on instagram today it's the first time i ever sat on a bed with a girl and hugged her so i hope yeah. that that's you know, I hope that that's something. And she's not crying. And she's not crying and asking right. to leave. It's really right, amazing. Exactly. You know? As you lock the door. Exactly. As I lock the door. Well, join us over on Patreon, by the way, if you haven't yet. You can join today for as little as $5 a month and even cheaper if you sign up annually. It really helps us keep the show going. And uh, Darren's going to be giving over her portion of, of her earnings so I can adopt a cat if you listened on last week's episode. Or this That's week's true. episode of NMR. Yep, That's there you true. go. Links are in the show description, or you can just go to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed. Well, Darren, what a wonderful episode to see your face here on. Well, you know, if you're a sussy radish, you can see our face every single week. But um, yeah, that's true. What, what, a, what a case today. And um, any last what thoughts? 
what a case. It's so nice to be back and uh, in full swing. I hope everyone had an amazing summer. We're excited to start off That's the fall great. with you guys and Halloween's coming up. So John's going to have an orange Spooky. cat and a black cat. So there's going to be <laughs> lots of pictures to take, but uh, just wanted to thank you guys. And I hope you guys have a great summer and we love you. Love you guys. See you next time. Check your and freshies. Remember, check your brake pads without pants. And apparently you don't need a penis. Okay. Oh, no. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.